If you have a Bible with you today, or if you'd like to follow along, we're going to be in Luke chapter 9 in a little bit. You can turn there. There's uh, some black hardcover Bibles in the pew in front of you. Um, you can turn along there. The Gospel of Luke chapter 9. We are in our Fruit of the Spirit series. We are down to the last two fruit. Certainly not the last two by importance, but just by how they were listed. And we, if you've been here before, you know we've gotten this series from the fruit of the Spirit, which we find in the book of Galatians in the New Testament, Galatians 5. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness. Christy spoke last week on faithfulness, did a great job. And if you want to be faithful to serve in areas of ministry, we've got sign-ups in the back lobby. We'd love to have you find a place to serve here at Homestead. Faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. So this week we are talking about gentleness. And when Christy and I talked about this series, you know, a couple months ago when we were planning it, um, I was thinking, okay, I love, joy, peace. Those ones are going to be pretty easy. This fly is going to be something. I just know it right now. I was trying to avoid it as it was buzzing around right in front of my face. Um, when, we thought, when we talk about love, now all you're going to be doing is focusing on the fly as well. It's easy for me to think, okay, well, I can preach on love and I, peace. Yeah, we can preach a sermon on peace, and I would think gentleness. How am I going to preach on gentleness? Who wants to talk about gentleness? I instantly thought, and maybe you thought about this too, like gentleness, what do you think of? You probably think of just kind of a mousy person, like a wallflower, just really timid, like weakness. We often think that with gentleness. Um, but we're going to talk about that today. So I want to tell a little bit of story. We've got my parents here, my in-laws here. So I'm going to tell a story. When Christy and I first got married, and we've, I've joked about this before, how when you grow up in a family... You think that how you grew up in your family, everything is normal. I mean, for the most part. Well, this is what we do on Christmas. We open presents on Christmas morning. And then we do this, and we have dinner at this time, and bedtime is this time. You grow up, and you have kind of these, men, these things that you grew up, and you think, well, this is normal. This is what every family does. And then Christy had the same experience growing up in her family. And when we first got married, we realized, now, wait a minute, not everything my family does is how your family did it. And, and we would say, well, wh how I do it is normal. And she would say, no, that's not the case. And so there were several adjustments that I needed to make when I first got married. And husbands, maybe you can relate to this. I learned quickly um, that not everybody wants to watch sports on TV all the time. And Christy would say, I don't want to watch Sports Center, And I'd be like, whoa, like eyes open, like, whoa, that's new information. Not everyone wants to watch sports. I learned that a toilet seat doesn't automatically put itself down. I learned that I slurp my cereal when I eat cereal. There was a, early on, probably a month into, or maybe even sooner than that, I like to have a bowl of cereal before bed. And Christy was, we were watching TV and I was eating a bowl of cereal and she just looked at me. This is about three weeks into marriage and she looked at me and she said, are you kidding me? I said, what? She said, are you kidding me? I said, what? said, I have to listen to that for the rest of my life? Like, I'm like, what? Everyone eats their cereal this way. But one thing I learned right away, right away, is not only is it important the words that I say, but how I say them is important. Now, this continues to be a source of conflict for Christy and I. We will uh, stumble upon conflict probably more in this area than any other area, and it'll go something like this. I will have a thought, and I will simply say it, and I'll say it. And the words that I say aren't, you know, terrible words. I'll just simply kind of say what's on my mind. And Christy will have her feelings hurt by what I said. And so I'll sense that she's upset at me, and I'll say, why are you upset? And she'll say, well, you said this. 
and it sounds a lot different than the words that I said. And I said, well, no, that's not what I said. She'll say, but how, what you said made me feel this way. And I'll say, well, but that's not what I said. But how you said it caused me to feel this way. Any, any married couples relate to this conversation? I'm sure this is fairly universal. I learned early on, okay, there's the words that I say, but then there's how I say it, which is important. We still stumble upon this. I was, we were talking about this very thing to a friend of ours a few years ago, a married couple, and, and they just looked at us with the, oh, yes, oh, yes, we know. And the wife said, oh, I just tell him to put a bow on it. And we said, what? And, he, and she said, he's very blunt, and he'll just say what he thinks. And so I'll tell him, I understand what you're saying, now put a bow on it. Make it the nice version. Make it sound nice for me. And she's very blunt back. And so he's learned, as am I, sometimes you got to put a bow on it. You have to say it nicer. I'm learning over and over again. It's important how we say it. Not just what we say, but how we say it. And this is the idea of gentleness that I want to kind of introduce today. How we do things is important. There's good deeds that we can do. There's standing up for things that we believe in. But how we do it is important. Um, in our world today, it seems this idea of gentleness is just gone. I mean, in our politically charged climate, in our online world where we, everyone's just spouting off things online, it seems like the loudest voice will get noticed. It seems, uh, in anyone who disagrees with you, it seems like most people just go into attack mode right away. Um, there's just a harshness, it seems, more and more in interactions with people. Maybe you've experienced this as I have when someone is at a customer service counter at a store or dealing with a waiter or a waitress at a restaurant and they are not happy. It just seems there's a harshness. There's like a brash kind of almost arrogance in dealing with people. It seems the more loud, it seems you have to establish yourself over others. In this world that we live in, increasingly becoming more and more harsh, the words out of Galatians ring true, this fruit of the Spirit that we are supposed to have more and more evident in us. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. The more we spend time following Jesus, the more we see these things in our life. And gentleness is one of those how much more in our society, in our world, will this idea of gentleness just ring true, will shine forth? Fly. Oh, I'm going to get... It just won't leave. It's a, it's a spiritual attack, this fly. Um, so I mentioned it before. What do you think of when you think of gen gentleness? You might think weakness. You might think you know, babbling brook with butterflies, and just like the most gentle thing you can think of. There's, you might think of passive, you might think of timid or quiet, do anything to keep the peace. Maybe that's what you think with gentleness. When I was studying in the scripture this week, the word gentle, the word gentleness in the fruit of the spirit, there were some other words that were synonymous with it in studying this word in the scripture. Some of them will be, and I actually have a list. Let's put that list of words on the screen. One of them is humble, yielded, teachable, considerate, and that last one is meek, meek, not weak, meek. Now, this is kind of a Bible word. You don't really hear a lot of people using the word meek, but this is, uh, obviously, you would know this if you know the scriptures. Blessed are the meek, the Beatitudes, when Jesus is teaching in Matthew 5. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. This is synonymous with the idea of gentleness. So I want to look at that a little bit closer tonight, how, or today, how to have the fruit of gentleness, how to have meekness more evident in our life. So as we're just getting going this morning, I want to start with this question. Does anyone know what you're supposed to do 
if you are attacked by a bear? Okay, random question, but there's a point to it. Say you're walking in the woods, you're hiking, and you come across a bear. I'm going to do a little survey here because I've heard two things. I've heard either lay down and play dead or make yourself big and aggressive. So how many of you would say, I'm going to just lay down and play dead? Okay, show of hands. All right, a good number. How many of you have heard the make yourself big and aggressive? Okay, uh, it's about evenly split. Perfect. I was studying this this week, okay? I looked it up. I said, how do you survive a bear attack? I'm, you know, this is full service preaching this morning. There's like practical, not just gentleness, but practical hiking outdoors information. So this one website, and if it's online, you know it's true. If this one website, it said this, the first thing you do is you have to identify. I love how they talked like if you come across a bear, you're going to be very calm and decipher all these things. It said the first thing you have to do is identify what kind of bear it is, whether it's a black bear or a brown bear, like a grizzly bear. I said, okay. Or a polar bear, which should be pretty easy to identify. Or and they, there was a fourth one, which I'd never heard of, a sloth bear, like found in parts of India. So I think we're pretty safe here. But I, th I thought to myself, if I'm ever attacked by a bear, I want to be attacked by the sloth bear. That just sounds like, a, like an easier one to deal with. So you first identify the bear. Now the second thing they said, this is most important, you have to identify if the bear sees you as a threat or if the bear sees you as prey, like dinner. Okay, if he sees you as a threat or if he sees you as prey. I don't know how you're supposed to decipher this, but they said you have to figure this out. And, it, and this website said, if it sees you as a threat, that's the good time to kind of lay down and just like be docile. And so that way the bear will say, oh, he's not a threat. I will move on. Um, but if he sees you as prey, if he sees you as dinner, then making yourself big and loud and more, you know, threatening to him will be a good idea. Now, so you were both right when you all, when you raised your hand, both sides were right. But they said, you don't want to guess wrong on this because if he sees you as a threat, and you start making yourself more threatening, it's just going to ramp him up, and he's going to be mad. If he sees you as dinner, and you just lay down, he's going to think, this is an easy dinner. This is the easiest dinner. It's right there for me. So I'm not sure how you're supposed to decipher how he sees you. But I was reading that, and the point why I was reading that is because the idea of making yourself threatening and big and loud, or laying down and playing dead, and the idea of gentleness in our world, we see it as those are the only options. In dealing with other people, it's kind of, we see it as kill or be killed. And when I'm dealing with other people, if there's conflict, I'm going to make myself loud, I'm going to be harsh, I'm going to make myself more threatening, and I'm going to outdo them. Or maybe some of you, whenever there's conflict, you just are like, I'm just going to lay down and play dead. And some of you, when I say gentleness, you think that. Lay down, play dead, let anybody walk all over you. And maybe you experience that in your world. In my expert opinion on how to survive a bear attack, you just need to be with other people, and I've said this before, and just don't be the slowest runner, okay? Be with some other people and just be able to run faster than one of the other people. This is not like an Olympic situation where the gold medal only goes to the fastest. In a bear attack, everybody gets the gold medal except for the slowest person, okay? So that's my best advice. Just be with people that you can run faster than. Um, gentleness meekness teaches us that neither of those is right. The big, loud, gregarious, obnoxious, you know, kill other people kind of mentality, walk all over them, or lay down and let everybody walk all over you, don't have an opinion, don't raise your voice. When we study meekness, neither one of those is the right thing. 
I fa- it's the idea of having strength, but having it controlled. Having reactions to things, but having them under control. I mentioned this when I spoke on the Beatitudes. Meekness is like being angry at the right times for the right reasons, but never being angry or losing your temper for the wrong reasons. Having emotions, having opinions, but having them harnessed and under control. There's a definition of gentleness. I have it on the screen. Let's throw up this definition of gentleness. Gentleness is a strong hand with a soft touch. It is a tender, compassionate approach toward others' weaknesses and limitations. A gentle person still speaks truth, sometimes even painful truth, but in doing so, guards their tone so that the truth can be well-received. I, I put that last sentence in bold. So the truth can be well-received. So I mentioned we're going to be in Luke chapter 9. This is a story where there's kind of three different instances with Jesus dealing with his disciples. And I want to read through these things, and there's kind of three different points I'm going to make about what gentleness in our life looks like. So Luke chapter 9, we're going to start reading in verse 46. Luke 9, verse 46. Now this is Jesus with his disciples. Verse 46 says this, An argument started among the disciples as to which of them would be the greatest. Jesus, knowing their thoughts, took a little child and had him stand beside him. Then he said to them, the disciples, Whoever welcomes this little child in my name welcomes me. And whoever welcomes me welcomes the one who sent me. For, the, for it is the one who is least among you all. The one who is least among you all who is greatest. So Jesus is with his disciples. An argument breaks out about which one of them is the greatest. And Jesus is quick to remind them, you guys are missing the bigger picture here. You guys are missing the bigger picture. You are focused on establishing your greatness, and you're missing the picture of what I'm trying to do for you, what I'm trying to teach you, that it's not about establishing how great you are. It is about humbling yourself. And he used a child as an example. It is like being like this little child. Whoever is last among you is the greatest. Gentleness, meekness in our life looks like this, not being so concerned with establishing yourself but living in humility, serving others. Serving others, the scripture teaches us, is not weakness. That's actually strength when you lay your life down. In God's eyes, that is strength when you serve others, when you don't need to prove yourself all the time. We've been watching a lot of Olympics in our house, and my favorite athletes to watch are the ones who, when they're about to start the race or whatever, aren't very, you know, they're not showboating. They're just kind of keeping to themselves. They're letting everybody else do all the talking. And then the race starts, and they just mop the floor with everybody. They just, like, they didn't need to prove themselves beforehand, but they had inner strength. When it was go time, they were going. It wasn't all about talk. It wasn't about showing themselves. But when it came down to when the gun went off, they were, they were ready to go. <laughs> they had definite strength. We don't need to prove ourselves all the time. Gentleness is going to be more evident in us when we get rid of that notion that we always have to exert ourselves or prove ourselves or set ourselves above other people. The next verse in Luke chapter 9, verse 49, says this. Master, said John, one of the disciples, he's talking to Jesus here, we saw someone driving out demons in your name and we tried to stop him because he is not one of us. 
And Jesus says in verse 50, do not stop him, Jesus said, for whoever is not against you is for you. This is an interesting story. Jesus with his disciples and part of their ministry would be encountering people under spiritual oppression, casting out demons. And they see this other guy who's not in their group, but he's casting out demons too. And it's interesting that John's reaction is to say, Jesus, this guy's doing what we're doing, but he's not one of us. We should shut him down, right? We should shut him down. Do you want us to shut him down? And Jesus says, no, he's doing a good work. Don't, if he's not against us, he's for us. Jesus says, don't stop him. Gentleness in our life looks the same. Don't be concerned with competing with others. Don't be concerned with who's in your group, and they're not in our group, so we got to shut them down. Not everyone is against you. And I find this in my life so often when I get so anxious. Every encounter I have with people is I just get anxious, and it feels like they're opposing me. And sometimes Christy has to remind me and say, Jeffrey, sweetie, not everyone is against you. <laughs> not everything is a fight. Not everyone is opposed to you. There's times where I find I do it, maybe you do it. We live with such anxiety, such stress, anger in us, because we view everybody else as an adversary, as opposition. They're getting in the way of what's best for me. If you find yourself, as I have done from time to time, short with everybody, anxious about everybody, you say to yourself, well, either it's everybody else or it's me, and usually it's me. Usually it's you. Usually it's your reaction to other people. Gentleness is finding that not other people are opposed to you. Not, other, not everyone else is against you. Finally, verse 51, it continues on. Verse 51, at the time, as the time approached for him to be taken up to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. He was determined to get to Jerusalem. And he sent messengers on ahead who went into a Samaritan village to get things ready for him. But the people there did not welcome him because he was heading for Jerusalem. When the disciples James and John saw this, they asked, Lord, do you want us to call fire down from heaven to destroy them? But Jesus turned and rebuked them. Another great story, another kind of, you know, stark overreaction by James and John, the disciples. I've said this before. Jesus, the disciples, they were Jewish people. They were going to Jerusalem. The Samaritan people did not like the Jewish people and vice versa. And for Jesus to say, we're going to go through Samaria, obviously everyone would have known, well, he's kind of asking for trouble here. He sent people ahead because, you know, when they're traveling a few days' journey, they needed somewhere to stay. So go ahead, find somewhere amongst the Samaritans that they'll welcome us that we can stay there. So they go, and when the rest, and Jesus and the rest of the disciples show up, they realize nobody wants them around. They are rejected. They're saying, you can't stay here. We don't want anything to do with you. And James and John, their reaction is, They've mistreated us. Lord, obviously we should call down fire from heaven and destroy them. Can you, I mean, can you imagine if that was the way it worked then? Like if the people had the power, anytime they were mistreated, boom, fire from heaven, wipe them out. I mean, some of you are thinking that would be awesome, right? That would be awesome in my everyday life. I would love that ability. When I'm mistreated, when I'm overlooked, when other people cut in front of me in traffic, Boom, fire from heaven, and they're gone. I mean, but if we all had that power, 
It would just be fire from heaven constantly, every day, every opposition. Someone with more than 12 items in the express lane at Cub. Boom, they're out of the way. You know, cut in front of me in traffic. Fire from heaven. This is how we, you know, we don't have the ability to bring fire from heaven, thank goodness. But in our hearts, when someone mistreats us, it could be something as silly as traffic. It can be an encounter at work. When we feel mistreated, when we feel overlooked, when we feel wronged, I didn't get the promotion, my kid didn't make the sports team, and in our heart we're like, they must be destroyed, I must take them out. And uh, instead of calling down fire from heaven, we have our own ways of bringing about destruction. It can be words, it can be actions, it can be just that determination to get them. They have wronged me, and I'm going to get them. Instead of fire from heaven, today we have the internet, where we can unleash our fury on anyone we want. I was reading an article in Time magazine, it just came yesterday, and the, the cover story is how the internet has become just, I don't remember the wording, but how the internet has just become a hotbed for people who are just full of hate. It's just internet trolls spewing hate over everyone. It, it, uh, it talks about celebrities who they can't even go on the internet anymore because the hate and the words that are directed at them are just so harmful. We ha and it said the cause of this, psychologists call it an online disinhibition. An online disinhibition because he said people see themselves as anonymous online. I can go online and I can say whatever I want and no one's ever going to know. They think there's an invisibility. I'm here behind the computer screen. Nobody's going to, you know, I'm all here by myself. What's the worst that can happen to me? There's a lack of authority and there's not communicating in real time. Basically what they were saying in this article is online interaction, we forget that there's actually people on the other end of our encounters. There's actually people reading these words. When James and John experience this, when, when they are rejected by the Samaritans, they want to call down fire from heaven. They want Jesus to wipe them out. And Jesus rebukes them. I'm glad he rebukes them. In a different translation of this very same story, it actually expands a little bit on what Jesus said. In a different translation, it says this. The words will be on the screen. But he turned and rebuked them, saying, this is what Jesus said to the disciples, you do not know what kind of spirit you are of. For the Son of Man did not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. In dealing with the hated Samaritans, James and John and probably the other disciples wanting to wipe them out, Jesus is saying, you're missing the whole point. The mission here is not that anyone who treats us poorly is destroyed. The mission here for followers of Christ is that those people who mistreat us, we want them to receive salvation. We want them to receive the love of Jesus Christ. The goal is not that we are respected, but that the message of salvation is received. And calling down fire from heaven is not going to achieve that goal. I'm amazed at how often I do this. Maybe you do this too. We present our views our opinions, we stand up for our faith in a way, and we do so in kind of a brash, harsh way. And we do that in a way that shows zero regard for the listener. And it's like we don't really even care if our message is received as long as our message is getting out there loud and clear. Have you ever done that? Have you ever felt like you were doing that? The way you're communicating, it could be dealing with other people at work. We all, it's like 
the online interactions. We forget that we're dealing with actual people. It might be your boss at work, and you think he's not an actual person. He's a boss. Kids, you probably think this about your parents. They're not real people. They're just my parents. I don't have to watch how I talk to them. Husbands and wives, it's the same thing. We need to be reminded. Gentleness means recognizing there's other people there. The goal is that the love of Christ, the goal is that the fruit of the Spirit in us would be so evident in every interaction that we have. We are in a politically charged climate. Every, I mean, this would be probably the number one way that this idea of non-gentleness is evident in our world. But all the more for followers of Christ. We need to recognize there are differences politically, yeah, but because someone disagrees with us politically doesn't mean they're sinning doesn't mean they need to be destroyed. We need to have this gentleness in dealing with them, realizing there are people there. The goal is to not have everyone come to our agreement of how things should be done. The goal is that the love of Christ would be evident to all, right? Amen? That could be another amen today right there. The goal is that everyone experiences the love of Christ. So practically speaking, we just need to watch our tone when we're dealing with people who disagree with us. Watch our tone. If it's something as simple as at a restaurant or customer service or something more significant, something very core to you, how you believe, the, how we stand up for our faith, how we speak what we believe, how we say it is important, right? How we say it is important. How we say it often determines whether our message is going to be received or just rejected. I think there's times where we stand up for our faith with good hearts. We want everyone to know Jesus, but we do so in a way that is harsh and arrogant, and people say, I get what you're saying, but I want nothing to do with you. And in our standing up for faith, we actually are pushing people further away from the Savior that we want them to come to know. When we have gentleness, when we have meekness, our message is more readily received. There's a humility there. There's a teachability there. There's not an arrogance of saying, my way is the right way and everything you're doing is wrong, but a gentleness, a meekness. Does this mean we should never share what we believe? No, absolutely not. Gentleness, gentleness means strength under control. It means sharing what you believe with consideration for other people. It means sometimes put a bow on it. Put a bow on it. Give the nice version. Gentleness shows that we are concerned with the people receiving the message. I got about five minutes left, and I wanted to share just one more story found in Matthew chapter 12. Um, you can read it later. I'm not going to read too many verses out of there, but this is a story in Matthew chapter 12. Jesus is dealing with the Pharisees. And I've said this before, you would know this. The Pharisees were the very religious, uppity people who were always trying to trick Jesus, always against Jesus. Jesus was always dealing with them back and forth. This is one of those times. Jesus is there, and the Pharisees come, and they try to trick Jesus. So they find a crippled man, and they bring this crippled man to Jesus. And it's on the Sabbath day, and they say to Jesus, they're trying to trap him. They say, is it lawful to heal this man on the Sabbath? They are using this crippled guy as an object lesson. They are using him to prove a point. They have zero regard for this man as a person. If, and I've mentioned this before. If you were crippled in that culture, in that day and age, you had zero rights. Nobody would want to be near you. Nobody would want to touch you because they believe that God was making you crippled for a reason. They would have, you would have been an outcast. There would have been no social support for you. You would have been an outcast. People wouldn't even want to talk to you. And these Pharisees grab this guy and they bring him before Jesus 
and they don't recognize that this is a person. They're just using him to make a point. They're just using him to trick Jesus. And they try to do this. And I just think about that person sitting there just wanting someone to recognize him. And these Pharisees don't even see him as a person, just as an object lesson. So what happens? Uh, Jesus heals this crippled guy on the Sabbath. And the Pharisees, it says, the Pharisees instantly go out figuring out a way that they could kill Jesus. Another example of, this guy's not doing what we want, we got to wipe him out. Jesus heals this man. And he says, and uh, right after this happens in Matthew 12, there's these great words talking about Jesus. Now, they're actually a quote from the book of Isaiah in the Old Testament that was prophesying about what Jesus would be like. It says this in Matthew chapter 12. It says these words. Uh, 12, verse 19 and 20. They'll be on the screen. It says this about Jesus. He will not quarrel or cry out. No one will hear his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not put out. I love that Jesus healed this guy. I love that while others were preoccupied with making a point or getting their point across, with being right, with setting themselves apart, that Jesus noticed this crippled guy. He noticed this individual who had hurts, who had pain, who are lost. He noticed this. He knew that a considerate word, he knew that what this guy really needed was love and healing and interaction with people. He knew that gentleness would make all the difference. I love that those words are said about Jesus. He will not quarrel or cry out. No one will hear his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break. A smoldering wick he will not put out. What that really says is Jesus is meek. He's not about being a loud mouth. He's not about trying to establish dominance. He's not out just trying to prove a point. When he encounters those who are bruised and beaten, those who are weary, he's not going to pile on. He's not going to try to break them. He's not going to add to the pain. When he encounters people whose flame of faith is smoldering and about to go out, there's no more hope. They're at the end of their rope. Jesus isn't going to snuff out that smoldering wick that words in Matthew say. He is a gentle healer. He is considerate. This is who he is. And we are followers of his. And as we follow him, this fruit of gentleness needs to become more and more evident in us. So let's foster that in our lives. Let's allow that to take place in our lives. Let's do this in our encounters with other people. Let's consider them. Let's consider that they're actual people. Let's consider before we start unloading on them our views of truth and how they've wronged us, let's consider that they may be ones who are hurting and bruised. Maybe they may be ones that have their family life falling apart, that are dealing with who knows what, and they're just doing the best they can. They may be at the end of their rope. Their marriage may be falling apart, battling sickness. Their kids may be struggling. Their light is about to go out. Let's not be the ones to pile on. Let's not be the ones to break those who are already bruised and weary. Let's be considerate. Let's allow meekness and gentleness while we're sharing the truth, while we're sharing our faith. Let's allow it to be covered in meekness and gentleness. When we deal with unbelievers, it's so quick. We're so quick to say, you unbelievers, you're just getting in my way. You don't know what you're doing. You're doing everything wrong. You're messing up our country, unbelievers. And we forget they're lost. 
They are lost. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4, the God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. This says in the scriptures, they're not just trying to mess everything up. They are blinded by the God of this age. They don't know that they're lost. They don't know. It's like they're walking around blind. Imagine leading someone who is actually physically blind, and your response to them is always, why are you doing that? Why can't you do things differently? Hurry up, get over here. You're doing it wrong. You're getting in my way. You would never be harsh with someone like that who is physically blind. You would be gentle. You would be leading them. You'd say, this way. This is the way we go. You would have gentleness. You would have meekness. You would be so considerate for them. Let's do the same thing for those who are spiritually blind. Let's allow gentleness and meekness to be the ones that lead them along towards Jesus so that the message of Jesus Christ can be well-received. can be well-received. Let's just recognize there are people who are hurting. I was thinking about this. Whenever we had a new baby born in our family, the kids that were already there, you know, two, three, four years old, would always want to hold the baby. And what would be the number one thing we would say to them when they were about to hold their baby sister or brother for the first time? We'd say, be gentle, be gentle, be gentle, because we know damage can be done in that moment, right? We know that big sister Lucy, as three years old, grabbing baby brother Charlie, and we had a few instances like this where we, were, they, we told one child, and they will remain nameless, that don't pick up the baby and stand up just on the couch. And this child picked up the baby and started walking, and Christy went, child's name, I'll just say it, she's not here, Betty, what are you doing? And Betty went, I wasn't doing anything. And she was holding the baby and then went, ah, it wasn't me. So baby went falling onto the floor. When, in, in, those, in those instances, we recognize damage can be done. Damage can be done, so we say, be gentle, be gentle. When you're dealing with people in your workplace, in your neighborhoods, damage can be done. I am amazed at the damage that is done by believers in Jesus who are just standing up for what they believe. And I, I want to say to all of them, and I remind myself the same thing, damage can be done. Be gentle. Be gentle. Allow the fruit of gentleness to take root in your life. So this week, practically speaking, how do we apply this? Just in dealing with people, maybe it's that one person you know you're going to deal with this week that always just gets you going. Maybe this is the week that you can just say, you know what, I'm going to have meekness and gentleness. I'm going to have a soft response. Maybe it's something you're going to spout off online and just say something, and you can say, you know what, be gentle. Damage can be done here. This is not anonymous. There are people on the other end reading this. Maybe it's interactions with customer service people or whatever, or you feel you've been wronged in some way. Just practically speaking, allow... Just try to remember this idea of being gentle. Be gentle. Talk to people. Recognize that they are actual people with hurts. Don't be the one to pile on someone who is already bruised and beaten and battered by this world. Don't be the one to snuff out that flame that is already smoldering, is already about to go out because of what they are dealing with in this world. Amen? Can we do that? Can we be a people that, in addition to standing up for what we believe in, we do it with meekness and gentleness? Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would help us to do this. Help us to do this. This is not an easy thing to do. And in our own strength, we are going to fall short every time. But I love the idea of the fruit of the Spirit. It is not about working harder. It is about abiding in you, staying connected to you. And as we follow you in every area of our life, we see these fruit grow in us. So help the fruit of gentleness 
to grow in us. May we be a kinder people, a more loving people, a more considerate people when dealing with others, especially others with whom we disagree. Help us to do that more and more this week. I pray for those who are here who are the ones who are beaten down, who are weary. I just pray that we would be a community of people to rally around them and support them. Other people in our neighborhoods, that we would rally around them and support them and encourage them. We pray that your light would shine forth from this church and from us individually. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, amen. Amen.